0: Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. We're going to look into the Word, and we're going to ask the Spirit of God to look into us, to look into us. Father, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Lord, you know our framework, but it is but dust. It's amazing, Lord, that you gathered dirt, the dirt of the earth, the soil, and you breathed into it the breath of life. How can we esteem ourselves so high when we come from such humble beginnings? But Father, we are created in your image, and we bless you for that. We know that you are not only working in us, but you are conforming us. Even in our fallen state, in our fallen image, you are redoing that image. You are developing us. You are conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, that we will look more like Jesus and look and act less like us. What an amazing work that is, Lord. Left to ourselves, we would deem ourselves fine. But we are not left to ourselves. We are left to the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that because the Holy Spirit has started a construction project on us, the day he saved us, and right on through till the day we come face to face with Jesus. What a day that will be when my Savior I will see. Father, in the meanwhile, I ask that your Spirit would just work in us with our frailties, with our fallings and failures. Help us not to accept ourselves as ourselves. Help us, Father, to accept ourselves and who we are in Christ and what you are desiring to make of us. Help us to only look to and strive for that in our lives. Fill me behind your Holy Spirit or fill me with your Holy Spirit. Hide me behind the cross. You know how much my mind has been plagued as my body has just... uh, You know, Lord. You know. And I come before you. And I ask that you will override everything in my brain, everything in my heart, everything in my emotions, and that you would have the preeminence in this service, and you will speak to us, and you will speak through us. Father, use your word as only you can do it. And today, we humble ourselves before you and ask that we will hear what the Spirit of God has to say. And Father, we ask that you'll speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name, and we all say, amen, 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 amen. amen. Last week, if you were with us, actually, yeah, last week, even if you were not with us, we began a message on the matter of maturity, a matter of maturity. Maturity. We began by considering John 14 and then went into John 15. And in John 14, remember, amongst all the great promises of Jesus that he is building a place, that he is returning, he made a promise that he is going to send a helper. That tells me I need help. Fair enough. (laughs) He didn't say, Tim, you got this. You know, you're good. Do it on your own. You can figure this out. No, he says, you know, Tim, I know you. And I know you're going to need a lot of help. And you're not going to need help from other human experts. You're going to need divine help. Because the only thing that's going to be able to help you, Tim, is my divine nature and my divine spirit. Are we all in agreement with that? I don't mean just about me. Okay, we're, we're, we're all, it's fellowship. We're all in the same boat together, right? And as he made the promise of a helper, he rolls through 14 of John and rolls into chapter 15, literally without any break in discussion, without any interruption from his disciples. Uh, The upper room discourse goes right on into his point that he was making concerning the helper. And he goes right into abide with me. Live with me. Spend so much time with me that you can finish my sentences. Spend so much time that you know what I'm thinking before I ask you to do something or before I discuss it with you. Live with me in such a way that you know me intimately as I know you intimately. And he says, as you abide in me, you are to bear fruit and the Father will be glorified not when you bear fruit, but when you bear much fruit. The Father is not glorified just because we bear fruit. The Father, Jesus said, is glorified when we bear much fruit. Are we in agreement with that? If we are, then we're in agreement with Christ. Because he said it's not about here or there. It's about much. It's about something that can be added up. Something that can be seen in a way that you can... Added or multiplied, and you will see whether the fruit is one or two or it is much. It is little or it is less. It is a small quantity or a large quantity. And Jesus said that the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. When we bear much fruit. Glorified, remember, it means to shine the light on. It's to take the spotlight off of me in life. It's to take the meism that that so permeates our culture. It is to take me out of the picture and out of the limelight and put the Father in the limelight. Put the Father, uh, the light on the Father where people see the Father. That's what glorifying someone who is already glorious means. To let God be God. (laughs) Let God shine, not me shine. It's what John the Baptist said. I must what? Decrease. And he must what? Increase. It's not about me. It's about the Messiah. He moves it on him. We learned last week concerning the gifts of the Spirit. That the gifts of the Spirit are tools that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And these tools, whether they are evangelism, gift of mercy, gift of tongues, gift of prophecy, gift of preaching, gift of teaching, whatever whatever the gift is, as babes in Christ, we will have this gift that we will either learn to use the tool properly or we will use it improperly. And the problem is never the tool. The problem is my maturity level and how I learn to use the tool. Or my sometimes laziness, too lazy to go get the hammer to drive the nail, I will use the head of the screwdriver to do it. Not that we've ever done that, right? Using tools improperly. We began last week discussing these matters of giftings and tools of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit wanting to produce maturity in our life. We saw how the misuse of gifts in 1 Corinthians, we'll see later, um, can be used improperly due to immaturity. When we think of this area of the giftings, I am reminded that the gifts of the Spirit are not indicators or are they substitute for the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not indicators of fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not substitutes for the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, your talents, your skill set, your ability to accomplish things and get things done are not a substitute for the fruit of the Spirit, which is spiritual maturity. We're in agreement with that. Fruit is what the Holy Spirit gives to us and does through us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what He does in us and through us. One comes to us, given to us to be used. One comes through us. Capish? Good. Clear as mud. <laughs> Therefore, when we want to say, okay, well, how do I know if I have little or much in a way of fruit? How do I know if it is present? What is this fruit? And by the way, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. What's interesting about Galatians 5, 22 is when you begin. He's talking in one direction, then he uses the coordinated conjunction, but, which means I'm going this way, but I'm not going to talk about this. He just got done talking about uh, the works of the flesh, but. We never struggle with the works of the flesh. We know them. We can do them with our eyes closed. And he says, but. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit. This word is a singular word. It is not plural. It's not fruits. And then he gives nine different fruits. It is fruit singular with nine different characters that describe that fruit. You follow me on that? So it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit singular. And it's not fruit plural like seed can be plural or it could be seeds or a bag of seed. You with me on that? So you could say something in a singular form, referencing a plural quantity. I could say, here's a seed, or I could say, here's a bag of seed, plural. This word fruit is not here is a verse of fruits, it is a fruit, that when this fruit, which we call spiritual maturity or Christ likeness. Same thing, to be like Christ, to act like Christ, to talk like Christ, to treat people like Christ. This fruit is Christ likeness. And you say, well, how do I know if it's there? Here's the character traits of this fruit. He's not conforming us into many different things. He conforms us into one thing that's described in many different ways. So when we come to this verse, he begins by saying, and the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Anyone else? must be the seasons. You don't mind if I wet my whistle, do you? Okay, works good. The fruit of the Spirit, he characterizes love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. You don't even need a law. If you have these, you don't even need a law. That's what he's saying. You don't need a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And those who are Christ, are you Christ? Do you belong to Christ? those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desire. In other words, my flesh has certain passions and desires. My flesh wants what my flesh wants. My flesh wants a substance when it's time to eat. Sometimes my flesh wants a nice big juicy steak. Yeah, no room for vegans here. I'm sorry, I can't do this. Yeah, it's a self-control, but it's a fruit of the Spirit means spiritual self-control, the Spirit and self-working cooperation to control itself. If, is the question, verse 25, we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit is not walking in a gift. Walking in the Spirit is walking in maturity. Let us not become conceited. Let us not provoke one another. Let us not envy one another. Envy someone, to envy someone means that you wish they were them. That's being envious. I wish I was that person. Being jealous means you wish you had what they had. A lot of times people think envy, jealousy is the same thing. Well, they're really two different things. You want to be that person, man. You see things in their life, and and you may be jealous that they have something that you want, but envy is you wish they were them. So it's kind of interesting that these were three major things, conceit or pride, being provocative towards other people in a bad sense, provoking one another. By the way, do you know the Bible says that we are to provoke one another? Hebrews chapter 10 I believe it's verse 24, provoke one another to love and good works. He says, if you're going to provoke somebody, provoke them to love. If you're going to provoke somebody, provoke them to good works. If you're going to provoke somebody, he says, here's how to do it. And, and people say, how do you provoke someone to love and good works? I say, well, let's think of it backwards. How do you provoke somebody uh, to anger and bad works? <laughs> By doing the opposite. We can. We know how to provoke people. We know how to push the right buttons, don't we? He says the same way you do this, do it the opposite to do this. But don't provoke one another through envy and strife. The mark of maturity. When we think of verse twenty two, I reel back and I because I see the first mark of maturity it said is love. It's love. Huge word, agape. As a matter of fact, if I back up to verse 14 of chapter five, it tells us this. We should have chapter verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled. Do we have that, D? Oh yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to pause so we could really see it. All the law is fulfilled in one word. It's amazing. We've heard it in the gospels even. One word. Even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is the one word? Love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your coworker as yourself. You shall love your brother and sister in Christ as yourself. You should love those who are unlovable as yourself. You should love those who are hard to love as yourself. He says, if you want to, take the law and all your list of do's and don'ts. He said, you can fulfill it in one word, one word. Love people as yourself. For no man hateth his own flesh, he says. But, this is going a different direction now. But, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed one by another. That would never happen amongst Christians. I don't know why he put that in the Bible. If you bite... And if you devour one another, beware, lest you consume one another. Consume. When we sit down to eat, we consume the meal. We don't just bite. We take chunks out and then we consume it. And then it's gone. I say then, verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts or desires of the flesh. So he sums up the fruit, Christian maturity, Christ-likeness, and he said, there's one major word. He said, boy, if if you don't get the rest, get this one he says. Love one another. And it's displayed by things that you don't do. Bite and devour one another. And consume one another. Or envy one another. Or provoke one another. He says, if you love one another, he says, then you are walking in the spirit. The word, as we, you, I'm quite sure, are aware of, it, the word is agape. Sometimes in a verb form, it is written as agapeo. Same thing, it's just the verb form of that. Agape means divine love. There's three words in the Greek that define love. I'm not going to drill down into all of them, but there's phileo, brotherly love. Philadelphia, brotherly, city of brotherly love, right? Notice they didn't name Chicago, Philadelphia. <laughs> Sorry, Chicago Chicagoites. Philo, philo, brotherly love. It means I like that person. Yeah, I really love that guy. Yeah, I really love that gal. That says, yeah, they're all right. That's phileo. Eros, eros is romantic love. I may love you as a brother and sister, but I love my wife. Amen? She's not invisible. She's just not on the platform. Eros love. Phileo love, brotherly love. Eros love, romantic love. Agape love, divine love. God's love, unconditional love as we often say. Loving someone without preconditions upon that love. It's loving someone in such a way that it's not based on them. It's not based on what they do. It's not based whether they're lovable or not. The problem is this. We tell people you need to love that person unconditionally like God loves them. We say it is a choice. You must choose to love them unconditionally. And here's what happens. People try and people fail. And then people read books on God's love and people fail. And people do Bible studies on God's love and then people fail. And then people listen to sermons on God's love and people fail. And then people reach a point in life where they say, forget it. That is just not me. I am not God. And so therefore, I am excluded from this expectation. I've done all these things. I've read books, I've had Bible studies, i listen listened to sermons on it. I can't love people like God loves people. I love the Lord, but people, hmm, hmm, I don't know how many preachers say ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. There wouldn't be a ministry if there wasn't for people. Right? There wouldn't be a preacher if it wasn't for people we use this excuse as some kind of a cop-out, that I'm exempt from it because it's not my nature. <laughs> I got a bulletin for all of us, especially me. God is not concerned about my nature. He's concerned about Christ's nature in me. Just because what's not my nature, not my personality, let me tell you something, God is a God that changes personalities. Amen? God is a God that can change my nature. God is a God that can change me from being a fighting Irishman to being a gentle Irishman. <laughs> God can change my habits. He can change my nature. I think we need to absorb 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. 1 John 4, 19. We agape him, we unconditionally love him because he first agape us. Think of that. I love God, I mean, unconditionally, and we'll even say that until he doesn't do what we've asked, and then we just say, I think he doesn't like me, I'm upset with God. Well, I, we love God, why? Because he first loved us. It didn't start with us. We could not generate it. We could not create our love for God. It was God's love for us. It generates the love back to him. But notice what he goes on to say. If someone in another church says, I love God. I agape God. And hate his brother is a liar. See, if you could pull up a slide in that word hate, because we sit there and go, whew, man, I'm glad I don't hate anybody. You know what the word hate is? Masio. Masio means this. To detest. To love less. <laughs> I'm like, what? To love less? So my question first is, wait a minute, what is the antecedent? What is what is to love less than what? To love less than Who? To love less, what is this this word referring to? And the word here to hate, to love less, refers back to God's love. We who say we unconditionally love God, if we love our brother less than that unconditional love to God, He says, then you are a liar. That's pretty strong. <laughs> it doesn't say that you have this animosity and you're you're so upset you're ordering on Amazon some voodoo dolls of the guy. That's not like oh, I'm going to tear him from him Hate. That's not what it's talking about. In the context, it's talking about if we say we unconditionally love God, and yet we do we treat our brothers with conditional love. He says you're lying. You can't do the same, because I unconditionally love them. And if you're going to unconditionally love me, then you have to love them as I unconditionally love them. He said, "Well, that's not my nature." He said, "Well, change your nature." I don't like you saying that. That I'm a liar. It rubs me the wrong way. Well, turn around. He'll rub you the right way, right? If we say we love God and love our brother less than that agape love, he's a liar. For he who does not agape his brother. He who does not unconditionally love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he agape love God, whom he's not seen? You follow? And will say, well, I love God, and yeah, me and God are like this, unconditional. And he says, but wait a minute, if you can't do this, who you've seen, how can you do this, whom you have not seen? And this commandment, not a suggestion. This commandment we have from him that he who loves God, what? Next verse, I'm sorry. Next verse. Are we on uh, 1 John 4, 21? rot roll. There it is. The Lord slid it in there last minute. This is the commandment we have for him. Not a suggestion. That he who unconditionally loves God must say that with me what must not should not shall not I hope you'll do this he says those who say they unconditionally love God must unconditionally love others also his brother there's not much wiggle room in there is there it's like well lord you know can't you just kind of put a little caveat in there that if they act almost lovable we can love them So the problem is this. Why do we struggle so much in agape divine love for people? Why is it that we struggle so much in this area, especially with those we see, and we have no problem with those we've not seen God? The answer, again, is this. Because God's divine love does not come through a choice of your will. Against many preaching over many decades of even myself saying, it's not just you choosing to love somebody. Divine love is not simply a choice of your will. It is not a determination of your will. I am determined to love that person the way God loves them. God's divine love is not a Bible study. It doesn't come through the determination. It doesn't come through a Bible study. It doesn't come through a sermon. God's love for other people only, only, only comes one way. And that is through the Holy Spirit developing this love through us as we abide in Jesus. Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, as we get to know Jesus, the closer we are to Jesus. And I want to tell you something. The closer I am to Jesus, the more I see Jesus and the less I see me. And the more his character and conduct works in my life and the less I see my bad character and my bad conduct. And trust me, I have plenty of my own. But how do I get rid of that stuff? How do I overcome it? How How do I walk in this love? That he says, I must walk in it. It's not done by taking a spiritual love pill. (laughs) No love potion number nine out there. It doesn't come by reading five love languages, it doesn't come by spending hours reading the Bible. It only comes by spending time with Jesus. Abiding in Him. Abide in Me. If you are the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in Me, the same bears much fruit. And He says the first and greatest fruit is a fruit of love. Agapeo or agape love. You see, friends, this is the whole message that Jesus is trying to send to us. If I have a problem loving like Jesus, then friends, I have a problem living with Jesus. If I have a problem loving like Jesus, then I have a problem spending time with Jesus. If I have a problem uh, loving other people like Jesus loves those people, then I am admitting to the fact that I have a problem abiding with Jesus. Do you follow this? Because you cannot... You cannot have one without the other. They're inseparable. And it's not about all the list of do's and don'ts and I got to do this and, and buck up and go love that person. It's not about that. It's about the time we spend with Jesus. And I guarantee the more I am with Jesus, the more I take on his character trait and the less I fall back on my own flaws and my own character trait. What are you doing? And the less time I spend with Jesus the less I take on his character trait and the more I fall back into the old character traits of the flesh. And let me tell you, our flesh is very close to the surface, isn't it? <laughs> we, we live with it all day. It's in our nature, but it's a nature he is changing. So why is maturity... Oops, sorry. Why is maturity a fruit of the Spirit? Because just as a fruit tree has to be draw its nutrients from the ground in order to bear fruit. So also in our lives, we must be, the Bible says, be rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. Don't just know about Him. Know Him. Be rooted in and grounded in Christ Jesus. Why? As we are rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit transfers the nutrients from Jesus into me and into you, and He creates the fruit of the Spirit. And that transference of nutrients is, is what makes the difference between what I call Christmas tree Christianity and biblical Christianity. You see, Christmas tree Christianity, as I describe it, is either myself or others ornamenting me on the outside. And those who say I need more red bulbs on me or blue ones or more tinsel. And oh, he must not be like this. When I first got saved, I didn't know what a Christian looked like or really pretty much acted like. I had an idea what they looked like because everyone in church looked different than I did. Oh yeah, looked like Billy Jack back in the day had the long hair past shoulders, the bandana, holes in my blue jeans. And there I sat in church. i was like, hmm. Something's not the same as the others. And I said, well, man, six months, I was off of Bible college. Oh, man, I'm going to Bible college. What am I going to do? I know I'd better get a Mac Daddy haircut. And man, I better, I better get some clothes that don't have rips through the jeans. Back then, they weren't even fashionable. I was ahead of my time. <laughs> Didn't even know it. And by the way, when I was at that church and that preacher got up, an evangelist one day, and never been to an evangelistic service, and was saved for about a week. And he goes, there was a Eureka Baptist outside Atlanta, Georgia. Boy, this little guy, big red face. White hair. He's like, Arr. I'm like, whoa, this this guy. He's, he's lit up. He goes, here at Eureka Baptist, we don't care if you got long hair. And he said long for about a minute and a half. Long hair. And blue jeans and flannel shirts. Yes, he said all three. And me and my buddies in the row looked at each other and like, I think he's talking about us. You ever been in those services where you, the preachers you feel like he's going You know, he's looking at him like whoa he's pointing right at me And my, my friend it wasn't saved, was standing there, boom, he's out. He couldn't he couldn't get out that door fast enough. And as soon as he got outside the door pull second whoo, 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 whoo. that guy preached to me the whole service. I said, Really? I thought he was preaching to me. And but when he said, You are always welcomed here. That set the tone for me. I'm like, really? We're welcome, welcoming? That's cool. And you know what I did? I didn't even know that Christians did this. Not only did I go that Sunday morning, but they had a service the next night. And I was there Monday night and then Tuesday night. And then I was there every single night that week. And the, the members were like, you're here every single night. I'm a member of this church. I'm not even here that often. I thought we were supposed to be. I thought it was like, what you're supposed to do, you know? It's funny how we think this is what Christianity looks like. And it's, you know, wearing the right clothes, looking right. And we ornament ourselves to look just like what a Christian. And as long as our Christmas, Christian Christmas tree looks like everyone else's, then we're good. But the fruit of the Spirit is not outward ornamenting. The fruit of the Spirit is not to ornament you. It is to bless you others have you ever thought of that the ornaments are what are put on us to ornament us and say wow don't they look like such a nice christian and whether those are all the skill sets that were given to us or gifts that were given to us or appearance that we think we should be or whatever uh what we we ornament out here and we say wow that person is really matter of fact not only do we judge the outward appearance of others as being good christians The funny part is we even do it to the lost. Sometimes we'll say, man, that person would be a really good Christian if they ever got saved. Ever heard that? I've heard that. Man, they're so close. They they would be a really good Christian, man, if they ever got saved. Boy, they would really be good because they're a really good person. And yet, here it is, a guy that saved two years out of drugs and alcohol addiction, whose wife was a stripper. And the two of them are preaching two years after salvation. A revival has gone on in Tennessee for months now. I wonder how many said, man, they're almost there. They'd be a good Christian if they just had their clothes on. They'd be a good Christian if they just couldn't do it. I mean, boy, they're almost there. I would wager to say probably no one would qualify them as the good Christian. Because we look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You see, as I said, it is not about the outward ornament. It's about the inward fruit. As we go back to that slide that we just saw, as we think of the fruit of the Spirit is not to ornament you, it is to bless others. You see, on the next slide, here's how I see it. The Christmas tree, though it may be beautiful, may have all its tinsels, may have all the the right colors that you like. Let me tell you something. It is beautiful, but it is dead. It may still look alive, but it's been cut off from its source of life. It's not rooted anymore, it's not grounded anymore. Uh, You don't say, well, I got the Christmas tree, it's got the root ball under it. Great, it's still alive. I'm not talking about that Christmas tree. I'm talking about this one. This is just a fake one someone drew. It's dead. It could be beautiful, but there's no life. No life of Christ. The other is alive, and is blessing. God bless you. What I find interesting is the word fruit. The word fruit is the word karpos. Do we have the definition up there? Maybe prior to those slides. You don't see? Do you see one at karpos? Oh yeah, karpos. It's good to have the Greek word handy. Amen. Kind of sounds similar to compost, doesn't it? Carpos. What's interesting, the word carpos means fruit, but it means fruit as in plucked, literally or figurative, figuratively. In other words, this is fruit that has come through the nutrients of the soil, has been developed in the tree, but this fruit is not hanging on the tree for people to say, wow, what a beautiful fruit tree. The fruit spoken of here is fruit that has been plucked, has been picked, or has been harvested. In other words, it found its source in the tree, but it's in someone else's possession. you with me on that? It came from this Christian tree, but someone else has it. It was produced not to hang on the tree and ornament the tree. It was produced for someone else to be blessed by that fruit. That's what it was. And by the way, I, I can only come up with three. Maybe you can come up with 12. I come up with three purposes for fruit. Fruit has a three-fold ministry. It is there to provide nourishment. That's why God created fruit, is to nourish us. Like this cow, this she's nourished. It is for nourishment. Secondly, is to reproduce after its own kind. Every fruit has seed in it. Sorry, I stand corrected. Every fruit but strawberries have seeds in it. Strawberries have seeds on it. It's the only one that has a seed on the outside, the rest are on the inside. Remember that for Jeopardy. It is to nourish others. We create the fruit for others to pluck it, to be blessed by it. It is to reproduce after its own kind. An apple tree will reproduce apple trees. Pretty deep, huh? Orange trees reproduce what? Orange trees. By the way, you say, well, I've seen orange trees with apple branches on them and grafted into them. By the way, do you know that you and I are not the natural branches of the vine, Israel is. You and I have been grafted into the vine. We have been grafted in so that he can produce his fruit through us And actually changes the fruit, doesn't he? It is for production, reproduction. It is for nourishment. And lastly, it is for identity. You identify a tree by the fruit that it has. Jesus said, by their what? Fruits, you'll know them. You'll know what an apple tree looks like. You know how you know? Here's the the giveaway. You know what an apple tree looks like? You know how to tell it's an apple tree? If it's got apples on it. You know how to tell, I lived in Florida for 20 years. You know how I could always tell those orange trees? They had oranges. Now, sometimes I mix them up for tangerines and those other things. Plum trees, lemon trees, pear trees you tell you jesus said you can identify them so what is the fruit that's on them that others are plucking uh, that are designed to bless them how is that tree identified and let me tell you something you can claim you're an apple tree but if you are covered with oranges i am going to assume that you are an orange tree fair enough and that's why, that's why everybody's a Christian. One time it was even fashionable. Everyone in Hollywood became a Christian. It was like, really? But the scripture says, by their fruits you'll know them. And fruit is not an ornament on the outside. It's not a necklace hung around a neck. It's not a shirt that we wear. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is a nourishment, nutrients of Jesus that the Holy Spirit brings as we abide in Christ and He produces in our life over time. Not an instant thing. It takes time to abide with Christ. It's not I've been saved 30 years and therefore I'm a mature Christian. No. If you if you are abiding in Christ, you're drawing nutrients that the Holy Spirit creates this fruit of Christ's likeness and spiritual maturity. What is your fruit telling others about your identity? It's a good fruit. Sure fruit? Is it rotten fruit? Is it different fruit than what we're really saying we have? What does your fruit say? It's there for identity. First Corinthians thirteen, remember the text and the gifts, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love. Agape,
1: I have become a sounding
0: brass or a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift, of prophecy and the gift of understanding all mysteries and the gift of all knowledge and though i have the gift of all faith so that i could remove a mountain but have not love the first descriptive element of christian maturity i am nothing and though i bestow all my gifts to the or goods to the poor and though i give even my body to be burned but have not agape it says that it profits me nothing. And remember, there's only one way to get that agape. Agape love, God's love suffers long. God's love is kind. And God's love does not envy. And God's love does not parade itself. And God's love is not puffed up. And arrogant and think that it's all that in a bag of chips. And God's love does not have or behave rudely. God's love is not rude. God's love does not seek its own. God's love is not provoked. The kind of love God's talking about does not think evil. God's love does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't high-five when somebody falls because you don't like them. God's love rejoices in the truth. He said, there's God's love. God's love bears all things, bears up under, to bear up, to, to hold up under the pressure. God's love believes all things, takes it at face value, doesn't read into things. God's love hopes all things, a confident assurance. God's love endures all things. It's not a veneer that just rubs off very easily. It endures over time. And God's love, agape love, never ever, ever literally means not one time ever fails. Whether there are prophecies, gifts, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they'll cease. Whether there is knowledge, for those who know all the Bible knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, That which is in part shall be done away. I've heard every argument. Is that which is perfect is the word of God? Or when that which is perfect is the church? Or when that which is perfect is is the, the body of Christ? The word in other portions of Scripture refers to the completion of maturity. The completion of maturity. When maturity comes, when it is completed, That which is in part will be done away. And by the way, here's support. The next verse says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood. In other words, I thought as a child thought. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When that which is perfect, when that is complete, when that is mature, the immature goes away. For now, we collectively see in a mirror. We see in this mirror dimly. But then, future tense, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now abides faith and hope and love. These three but the greatest of these is love like i said this is not a chapter on how to have the perfect marriage it's not a chapter on marriage it's a chapter on maturity and if these maturity things on the greatest one is love why is love the great why is love greater than faith why is love greater than hope how can that be because the day that you and i find Complete maturity is the day that you and I are face to face with Jesus. When I see him, I shall be like him. Hallelujah. (laughs) Finally, it's finished. Finally, it is a completion of this maturing, conforming me to the image of Christ. When he saved me, I was a babe in Christ. And he says, Tim, be no longer babes in Christ. Grow up in the most holy faith. Be rooted and grounded in Christ. Let the old nature go by the wayside. Be conformed to the image of Christ. And when I see him, I'll be like him because I will be glorified. And I will know as he knows. And I will be known as I am known. He is talking about the completion of our maturing maturation process. And the reason that love is greater than the rest is because when you see him, you will not need faith anymore. Faith is only temporary. When you see him, you don't need faith as a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. When you see Jesus, you won't need faith anymore. When you see Jesus, you won't need hope anymore. You won't need a confidence church. You say, here it is. I don't hope in that which I now see. I don't have faith in that which I now see. You said you'd prepare a place for me and I see it. And I see Jesus. And you changed me. And you're changing me. Until that time, he says, if you master the one character quality of the fruit of the Spirit. He said, man, he said, if you, if that is described in your maturity as someone that loves people, I man, he said, you'll, you'll take care of all the rest of the qualities. I'm not going to read down through all these qualities per se. I'm not going back to Galatians, but I want to say when he says, maturity is defined by our love do we agape people or do we just say we love God and put up with people do we have the character quality and character by the way is a pattern of one's life over time this pattern develops and shows what our character is its integrity doesn't mean that we walk perfect through this maturing process. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes, you know, we just totally mess up. Though a just man falls seven times, yet he'll get up. He said, but the character is the overall summation of our integrity in our life, who we are over time, not in a moment. And so, he says, do we have joy? Not joy based on a world's substance or circumstances, not joy that comes and goes and fleets because of what changed around us? Or do we have God's joy in a circumstances and glory and setting in glory that doesn't pass away? Do we have that joy? Do we have peace? Do we have shalom is the word in Hebrew? Do we have shalom? Do people know us as peaceful people? Do people know us as peacemakers? Do people know us as those who live in chaos and drama? Do we have peace long suffering or patience do we have this enduring perseverance how do i hold up under difficulty kindness how do people know me as i treat others do i treat them with a gentle touch or do they view, do they view me do people view me as a gentle person do they view me as a kind person Or do they view me as a rough person? Goodness. These aren't how you think about yourself. How do other people see you? Goodness, almost the same as kindness, to treat with benevolence. When people encounter me, are they treated with benevolence? Faithfulness. Can people depend on me? I'm on the schedule. I'll be there am I trustworthy and dependable meekness a strong character that remains humble meekness do people see me as a meek person or prideful and arrogant self-control number under the spirits self-control do I have a character of self-control a pattern of self-control not certain blips on the radar that said whoops I messed it up here I lost control here I was driving an I-65 there that's the true test of self-control it's I-65 but do I have that character you see it was once said people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care (laughs) literally put do we love unconditionally love God by demonstrating it in our unconditional love towards other people? Am I maturing in Christ? Many of you may be here and some have asked me some have called me about recent events going on in our church and I'm not ready to address that today in this forum. I will next week but not in this forum. I think all of us, this God has put this message on my heart in August months ago. I'm like, What? I'm supposed to go to Romans next. Everyone's saying, Yay, Romans. And he said, You'll get there. You'll get there. And so I said, Okay. We will uh, we'll get there. For you Romanites that are like, Yeah, Romans." My question today is, how are we known? By your fruits they'll know us. How are we known by others, not what do we think about ourselves? Father, you have been working on me, through me in these areas, my personal life and I ask that you will continue to work in our church life God forbid that others are like me but God forbid if we are not conformed to the image of Christ help us Lord mold us, make us and whatever you do Lord change us change us today In Jesus' name, we all say.